Hello there. This is your boy Brent. It is the evening of Sunday, December 16th, 2018. Week 15 of the NFL season is winding down. And a few hours ago, something pretty interesting happened with the Washington Redskins. Despite being full touchdown, yes, seven point underdogs on the road to a team with, I would say, pretty legitimately excellent defensive talent, these limping, struggling soap opera Redskins pulled out a victory. A narrow victory, yes, but a season-saving, technically at least, December victory all the same. With two games to play, the fancy ESPN algorithm probability detector index thingy says the Redskins still have a 15% chance of making the playoffs. So yes, there is still a pulse. Obviously, we watched the Redskins do some good things and some bad things in this game, which of course I intend to touch on. And more importantly, maybe, if you're like me, you may have found yourself, as the fourth quarter melted away, um, a little bit maybe conflicted about this outcome and its implications, both for the short and longer term. I'll certainly elaborate on that as well. Burgundy Blogcast, of course, is the official podcast of Burgundy Blog, which used to be an actual blog, but is now mainly a Twitter account, at Burgundy Blog. And you can always find the blogcast at burgundyblog.com as part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network at bluewirepods.com. So, of course, this game featured, number one, in the Redskins, one team clinging just barely to its playoff contention life, and number two, in the Jaguars, a team that had already been mathematically eliminated in what had become an extremely disappointing season for a team really only about a touchdown away from the Super Bowl last year. Most of us, I think, probably don't follow the Jaguars very closely, but they've basically been a mess. Of course, having benched Bortles a couple of weeks ago, head coach Doug Marone on a very, very hot seat, several key starters on IR, and a star-studded defense really not gelling well for two months and really underachieving as a unit. Then the Redskins, of course, as we well know, have been on a four-game losing streak, starting with the snap-crackle-pop of Alex Smith's right lower leg. I think I went into this game as a fan, knowing that really pretty much anything could happen, well, anything that is except a shootout, being that both offenses are so heavily injured and just generally inept. But what I mean is that really anything ranging from a two-score Redskins victory to a two-score Redskins defeat seemed like it was probably on the table because there are just so many wild cards and unknowns when even one team, let alone both teams, are in the midst of locker room turmoil. As mentioned on my Twitter two days ago and many places elsewhere, the over-under on this game of 36 points was as low as it's been for any NFL game in six years. If that's not weird enough, the Jags somehow still were seven-point favorites. It's very peculiar to see such a big spread with such a low over-under. I'd say the main takeaway from that is that Vegas was expecting, like, absolutely nothing from this Josh Johnson-led Redskins offense. And they ultimately, of course, didn't do much, but they did a little better than nothing. And in fact, they did enough. If you'd asked me outright before the game, I would have said I'd, I'm, I'm taking the Redskins plus the points, but I was not expecting a Redskins victory. I knew there was a little bit of hope in Josh Johnson and what he could possibly bring to the offense in terms of experience and versatility, and especially with his legs. But the injuries have just been so, so terribly bad on offense, especially with Jordan Reed going down last week, and the chemistry has just been so, so apparently bad on defense. It did, to me, seem like a recipe for them to lay another egg. 
But hey, that's why they play the games. The first half, up until like the last maybe 30 seconds, which of course included by far the biggest play of the half and the only touchdown, really to me looked like exactly what you'd expect in a game featuring two legit defenses and two disastrous offenses. And that's what you had because really neither running game was going and neither quarterback was staying upright long enough to get anything going. And it should have been 3-3 until, of course, the Redskins' biggest special teams gaffe of the year, which was Tressway from inside his own red zone, first of all, outkicking his coverage, secondly, leaving D.D. Westbrook too much room to decide where to go on either side. And I will insert here that Tressway has been so unfrickin' believably good this year, basically just putting balls any and everywhere he wanted. I'm inclined to believe that what he did with that punt was basically whatever he was told by Ben Kawika. And it just absolutely was not the right play in a situation where the only important thing was that it be punted in such a way as to eliminate the chance of a return for touchdown. In other words, don't kick it too deep and don't kick it in the middle of the field. But that's exactly what happened. The punt was eminently returnable. Westbrook made a few guys miss. Then he made a few more guys miss. Then, well, he's blazing fast, so he burned a few other guys. And then, of course, Byron Marshall, who probably should have been cut yesterday, by the way, instead of Capri Bibbs, who actually was cut. Well, certainly either Marshall or Piran should have been the one to go rather than Bibbs, who's actually been producing. But I digress. Marshall has a chance at Westbrook, but he, like, opts out or something. I caught a little bit of his explanation after the game, and he says he felt at the time like he just couldn't possibly get to the actual ball carrier. But of course, what we all saw is that Westbrook... I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm calling him Westbrook. I think it's because Cooley has been doing that all week. Marshall, Byron Marshall, not Brian Westbrook. Byron Marshall zeroed in on one of Westbrook's blockers and just blasted him out of bounds and into, into outer space for no reason and to no benefit. And then, of course, Westbrook scored. So instead of being tied at the half, the Redskins uh, went into the locker room down seven, which, of course, kind of felt like it might actually already be too much to come back from. Of course, we now stand corrected. But yeah, what a horrendous special teams play by the punt unit on that one. Prior to that, in the first half, it was really more of what we've seen plenty of lately from the Redskins offense. Uh, Lots of penalties and and drive-killing penalties at that. Um, Very little running room for Adrian Peterson, thanks to substandard interior line play, tons of sacks allowed, and basically every Redskins pass-catching option failing to generate separation or any yardage after the catch. The one thing, though, that started to look a little different with the offense and that we saw even more of in the second half was the quarterback running the ball and just generally using his legs to give himself options. Josh Johnson tucked it a few times, including at least twice, I think, for third down conversions. And finally, I would say in this game, possibly for the first time all year, I was satisfied with the number of times Gruden moved the pocket for the quarterback. Josh Johnson had a number of boots and rollouts, and even though the offense was not able to generate a touchdown in the first half, it seemed pretty clear to me that it was helping. And I recall thinking even in the second quarter that I was seeing a a lot of the plays that I had been hoping all year, really, that Gruden would have been calling for Alex Smith. Starting in week one, when Smith came over from Kansas City, we knew that his best attributes were, well, toughness and experience and smarts, but after that, athleticism, throwing on the run and extending plays. And it just always seemed to me, even even as they were six and three up until Alex Smith's injury, that Jay was trying to like shoehorn him into a little bit more of a drop back passer role. I thought all through those first two months that the Redskins would have been having much more success on offense if Jay had done a better job of moving the pocket. And, And today, suddenly for Josh Johnson who does have wheels, but I mean, he's not Michael Vick. I don't think he's like light years ahead of pre-injury Alex Smith in terms of athleticism. In fact, if you want to break it down a little further, I actually think that they're they're pretty similar players. I mean, like what we've seen 
out of Johnson in a, a game and a half so far looks quite a lot like, I think, what we would have seen from Alex Smith using identical game plans. Both tough and willing to sacrifice the body, both a little erratic in terms of accuracy, both generally pretty solid in terms of decision making, and Johnson, of course, did not turn the ball over today, which was huge. And then, if anything, like, let's be real here, Johnson's arm is better. Anyway, I think I think that Jay put Josh Johnson in pretty good position to have success today with his play calling, especially by moving the pocket. I feel like I saw more slants today and other QB-friendly routes. And we also finally saw some plays with two running backs on the field at the same time, which gives you flexibility in the run game. And we saw Adrian Peterson lined up in his natural, cozy, comfortable eye formation that he spent his whole career running into the Hall of Fame from, uh, much more today than we had previously. Again, I don't want to overstate this. I mean, the Redskins only scored 16 points, but there were four scoring drives there. And Jay did this with the quarterback again, who, in case you haven't forgotten, had not played in a meaningful NFL game in almost a decade, at least not in the meaningful portion of one, and who had never won a game as a starter, was previously 0-5. So yeah, I I think there was a little bit of a light bulb there for Jay. I think something clicked a little bit, and and frankly, I just think it was was too late. It's probably too little too late. I wish he'd done a little bit more of that with Alex Smith, and I think maybe there was a, a little trust or comfort disconnect there, potentially holding that connection back. In the second half, we saw even more of Josh Johnson moving around and using his legs to make things happen. And believe it or not, the Redskins scored on three of their four possessions in the second half of the game. The first possession was a 16-play, 60-yard drive that ended in a field goal. Their next one ended in a punt. But their third one was a 10-play, 68-yard, five-and-a-half-minute drive that ended in a touchdown. And then the final one was eight plays, 36 yards, literally 100% Adrian Peterson on the yardage there. And then that one, of course, ended in the game-winning field goal by Hopkins. If you want something to hang your hat on going forward in these last two games, and if you're trying to work through all the crazy combinations and permutations of wins and losses that could potentially get the Redskins into another miracle postseason berth, I think, first of all, obviously that scenario depends on the defense playing as well in those two remaining games as it did today, even against uh, superior offenses. But also, some of your confidence can be rooted in the way the Redskins' offense played in the second half. Four possessions, 13 points, including drives of 8, 10, and 16 plays. That right there, and by the way, no turnovers. That, that right there kind of smells to me like Alex Smith on a good day. Now, uh, letting the pendulum of enthusiasm swing back just a bit, this final result depended very heavily on two kind of lucky, almost fluky things. One, of course, was the amazing catch, 33-yard reception and gain by Jameson Crowder after a not-so-perfect pass by Josh Johnson on 3rd and 15 was like tipped or deflected by some combination of Crowder and the defender and then reeled in by Crowder. That was the biggest play of that drive. And I'm not sure the Redskins entirely deserved it. You could probably argue that that pass really should have been an incompletion and possibly an interception. In fact, more likely an interception than a reception. But hey, most wins require at least a little bit of luck, so there it was. Secondly, on the Jaguars' ensuing possession, Fabian Moreau's clutch pick came because, frankly, Cody Kessler just absolutely sucks. Maybe fluky is the wrong word for that. In fact, that's pretty standard for Cody Kessler. But yeah, what I'm saying is, even as well as the Redskins' defense played today, the team probably wouldn't have had any chance of winning this game if the opposing quarterback wasn't such a clown. The Redskins kind of went back to their old formula that was working in those first couple of months of the season uh, to pull out this victory. Specifically, they won the time of possession battle 33 minutes to 27 minutes. 
and they won the turnover battle 2-0. Kessler had an early fumble, and then later he threw the pick. They also managed over 100 yards on the ground, which has been a key factor in most of the Redskins' wins, although, of course, this came a little unconventionally today, with quarterback Josh Johnson accounting for 49 of those yards to Peterson's 51. If the Redskins are going to have any chance against the Titans on the road and against the Giants at home, all three of these things probably need to happen again in both games. They're going to need to win the time of possession battle, they're going to need to win the turnover battle, and Josh Johnson is going to need to run his little ass off. If, if they can all keep their heads on straight, if, if the defense can squash all the infighting and coach questioning, and if the offense can somehow manage to avoid still more injuries, then I could possibly kind of maybe see that being enough at home in the finale against the Giants. But I suspect we all agree that even that very hopeful sort of ideal scenario definitely feels like too little for next week in Nashville. In fact, looks like the Redskins are opening up as 10-point underdogs in that one. So clearly that game is a long shot, and then even if Week 17 is winnable, the idea of the Redskins winning both of them, even in this sort of Josh Johnson honeymoon period, given what we saw over the previous four games, and what we've been reading in the newspapers and hearing on the radios, I mean, it's nice that the Redskins got this one, but please, let's not lose sight of just how bad the, the Jaguars are. Anyway, the idea of the Redskins winning out still is a little bit far-fetched. Now, unfortunately, on top of that, they they need some help. They do not control their own destiny. And if I've got this right, then really the only realistic path is that not only the Redskins win those last two games, but they also need old cousin Kirk and the Vikings to lose at least once, either next week at Detroit or then in Week 17 at home against the Bears. Obviously, that last one will be a tough matchup. But it's also not a sure thing that the Bears will be having a lot to play for in that game. There's this other scenario then where the Redskins win out and the Cowboys lose out. But that seems pretty unlikely because the Cowboys have two weak opponents. And also I think maybe they need the Seahawks to lose out in that situation too. Anyway, that that whole thing seemed like very pipe dreamish. So again, I'm pretty sure what the Redskins require will be two more wins of their own and at least one loss by Kirk and the Vikes. It's not impossible, but it is definitely quite improbable. Jonathan Allen and Ryan Kerrigan were sensational in this game. You didn't really need me to tell you that. They both had two sacks. That's kind of a no-brainer. But it's not just there in the stat sheet. It was there on the film. They looked awesome, both of them. That's one guy who I think is about to come into his own as a dominant force and perennial pro bowler at his position. And another guy who you just keep kind of waiting to fall off the cliff, fall off the edge of the prime of his career in Kerrigan. And yet, here we are. Two games left and he's sitting on nine sacks. He's had a few more games maybe than usual where he's disappeared this year. In my view, he's struggled a little bit more against the run this year. But Kerrigan is not going quietly into the night. He's still only 30. And what a really, really great and underappreciated Redskin he has been. He has just been a very, very good sacker of quarterbacks and forcer of fumbles throughout his career. Meanwhile, Jonathan Allen's intensity and also his effectiveness against the run, which was on display uh, during that dominating... um, tackle for a loss in the first half, is the kind of thing that will give him the credibility he needs to then broadcast his impeccable attitude and work ethic throughout the locker room and I think sow the seeds of culture change finally. This is such a key thing for the Redskins going forward, regardless of who their coach and GM are going to be. In my opinion, they desperately need for their, their main and their most vocal leaders to be their best players. And on some level, eventually, they're most expensive or highest paid players as well. 
I'd say Trent Williams has really been a very good example of this. And more recently, maybe Swearinger, although I'm not entirely sure that his leadership style is resonating with everybody. But I really think that the Redskins over these next five to ten years need to be remade in Jonathan Allen's image because I believe he represents everything that they really need to and want to be on the field, in the weight room, behind a microphone, pretty much everywhere and all the time. A couple of quick points here about the inside linebacker core. Number one, Mason Foster. I think maybe his uh, Instagram comments and the ensuing media storm has probably been sufficiently discussed and processed by everybody. But I'll add here that it was off-putting enough to me, especially when taken together with his little Twitter outburst last year where he went off on, on the front office. And then also considering just the way this thing was handled, where he first blamed it on a cousin and then maybe like didn't really when he was talking to his teammates. The whole thing just made me pretty annoyed with Mason Foster. And he's like, yeah, a pretty good tackler, a decent first and second down thumper, but really not such a good player that I'm like willing to totally look past all this as a fan. And basically, I think I'm ready to move on from him. We all know he has major deficiencies in coverage. He just lacks the speed the Redskins really need. When you put all that together, I think he's kind of an uninspiring choice for captain. And I hope they'll be able to upgrade. Then there's Zach Brown, who's got his own drama going on over these last couple weeks. He got benched for Sean Dion Hamilton after a stretch where my sense is the coaches had been holding him responsible for some key missed assignments. Then he was quote-unquote sick and missed a couple of practices last week. And then he had this quote where he said he thinks the writing is on the wall, implying that he won't be with the team next year. His contract is pretty cuttable, so I think he's probably right. But for completeness, I think it should be said that even coming in off the bench today, seemed to me on first watch that he actually played pretty well. He had a nice sack on a blitz, and I didn't pick up on any obvious major coverage mistakes. So I think he actually deserves a little bit of a credit for a nice contribution today coming off the, off the bench, even if he is pretty clearly disgruntled. So then SDH is the guy who's benefited from Zach Brown having one foot in the doghouse. And I'd say so far in these last couple games for a late round pick, he's definitely shown some promise. I think we learned about him uh, all the way back in preseason that he's a little bit of a risk taker. He'll shoot some gaps and sometimes it results in big plays, big tackles for losses. Other times it results in big holes. He seems to be kind of smoothing that out a little bit. And really, I just like how much time he seems to spend in the backfield. One way or another, he's he's definitely a, a disruptor. So I'm pretty interested to see how he uh, develops. I do suspect he may show up next year significantly improved. He could be one of those guys who takes a big leap from first to second year. If only because it really just does not seem like he's in great shape right now. I mean, I'm sorry, but I'm serious. He's he's like a little bit flabby. You can tell even in pads. I'd say if he works as hard this season as most of those Alabama guys typically do and focuses on getting rock solid, he could definitely be ready to step right into one of those spots vacated by Mason Foster and or Zach Brown. And then the last guy you got to consider in this group, or maybe you don't gotta, but you probably should, is Reuben Foster. Of course, I have no idea how all that legal stuff's going to shake out. The Redskins are just now finally getting out from under the immediate media blitz and firestorm from when they claimed him. But if he rehabilitates and becomes eligible, and if he really commits himself to rewarding the team that took a, that took a chance on him, that stuck their necks out for him, I could envision the tandem of Sean Dion Hamilton and Reuben Foster being a fairly formidable duo with the right defensive coordinator whose name I do not know right now, but it is not Greg Minuski. A couple things here on Josh Johnson. First of all, it's very hard not to be a huge fan of his right now. 
He waited like a decade in the NFL for his first win as a starter. He finally got it today. It was very clear from how he looked on video immediately after the game, how he looked and sounded in his presser, that he was just extremely happy and relieved and fulfilled and proud, and that it really meant a lot to him, that it wasn't really about just the ability to get to cash a few more game checks, but that this game and this win and this team really seems to mean a lot to him. That is very, very easy to root for and to respect. His game is pretty interesting. He's got a a pretty strong arm. His accuracy is, I don't know, maybe kind of average. Honestly, even that might be stretching it a little bit, at least based on what I've heard about how he looks in practice. But so far, he's masking that well. And he's, he's thrown a few very tight window, authoritative, impressive passes, including one first down toss over the middle to Michael Floyd today, which is really nice. And the, the broadcasters made a big deal out of it, rightfully. I don't think in his roughly six quarters of play as a Redskin, he's made any totally idiotic plays, uh, no Josh Bones. And of course, as mentioned previously, his mobility is a huge plus. I made a big deal on last week's podcast of basically complaining that he was the best player on the team, even though he had just showed up like 72 hours prior, and basically how that spoke so poorly of the rest of the team. But look, for his part, he's come in here and done just fine with no OTAs, no minicamps, and hardly any practice. So yeah, you do kind of have to wonder, would he look even better with a few months on the team? And I mean, I think the obvious answer is yes. I mean, you should at least assume that of course he would look at least a little bit better. Now, is is he like, for some reason, the kind of guy who just like has to be in Jay Gruden's system? I don't know. I mean, I kind of doubt it. He's been all around. He's been on like a dozen NFL teams. He's seen everything. But, you know, if Jay Gruden is the coach of the Redskins next year, which I think is looking a little more likely than not, and especially after he was able to get them to pull it together and, and pull out a win today, then yeah, why not? Why isn't there a role on this team for Josh Johnson? I guess, of course, the last two games of this regular season will go a long way towards deciding how fans will feel about Josh Johnson uh, next year, you know, like in April, around draft time, and then, you know, in August, in the preseason, and then as the season starts. Barring some, like, miraculous run of him being scorching hot over these last two games, it's pretty hard for me to to imagine the fan base being really high on him as, like, a viable starting QB1 in week one. But I mean, yeah, at this early juncture, and again, especially if, if Gruden is still around, why the hell not? Why shouldn't he be, you know, at least a backup or maybe part of a competition for the starting job in the likely event that Alex Smith is not fully cleared at that point? Now, this opinion, I guess, is subject to change. We've got a pretty small sample size to work with in terms of the current version of Josh Johnson. I don't mind conceding that I have not gone back to watch tape of him six to eight to 12 years ago. So I guess let's see if he can keep it up. But the fact that he's done this behind a totally decimated offensive line speaks well of him. And I don't totally hate the idea of him being a part of this team's future in some capacity. And then again, from a purely sentimental perspective, I mean, he's about as good a story as this team has going for it right now. He's a real Cinderella and it would be nice for him to get a few more weeks worth of shine. So I said at the outset that I had perhaps some slightly conflicting feelings about this game and this win. Let me flesh that out a little at the risk of yet another round of calls for my fan card. I didn't have a podcast at the time, but I went through this on Twitter in the final days of the Shanahan era. The idea that some wins in football are nice in the immediate sense, but potentially counterproductive in the bigger picture. Generally, these are wins that do not help you reach the playoffs in most cases because you've already been eliminated or practically eliminated, but which, of course, number one, 
negatively affect the team's draft position, and number two, positively affect or potentially positively affect the standing within the organization of the current coaching staff and front office. Now, I want to be clear that if I had thought going into today's game that the ultimate or eventual likelihood of the Redskins making the 2018 NFL playoffs was even as high as like 10%, then I really don't think I could bring myself to even consider actively rooting against victory in a given game. But knowing, as I did at the time, you know, this morning before kickoff, that that outcome, the Redskins making the playoffs, was going to require not only help in the form of convoluted scenarios, including other above-average teams losing games, but also a three-game heater for a Redskins team that appeared to be in disarray and was bound to be underdogs by a touchdown or more in at least two of those three games, then yeah, I mean, it really did seem pretty much over. And, you know, frankly, it still basically is, though perhaps a little bit less so after they were able to pull a rabbit out of their collective hat today. Anyway, I think the Redskins' current situation with respect to potentially uh, rooting for losses doesn't have too much to do with draft position. I mean, any given win, including today's, is probably going to cost them two, three, four slots at the most in terms of first-round order, and, you know, potentially none or one. Furthermore, when you're talking about being basically in that middle third of the first round, I think even two or three slots matters quite a bit less than when you're hovering around the top five. So while the Redskins may very well be in the market for a top-tier quarterback, the whole decision calculus on this issue for me right now doesn't rest so much in, in terms of draft position. I think, obviously, it has a lot more to do with who's in charge right now and do I want them to stay in charge. And so I've, I've made very clear previously for a long time in many places that I think Dan Snyder is the number one impediment to the Redskins being a championship-caliber, consistently-winning organization. But guess what? There's nothing I can do about Dan Snyder being gone. Well, for that matter, there's nothing I can personally do about any of them being gone. But none of us can really or should even really waste any time or energy hoping that Dan Snyder will uh, remove himself from the equation because that's just not going to happen. Secondarily, my next priority would be for Bruce Allen to be fired or reassigned or for him to step down or move on or whatever it takes to get him out of his position of significant power over the construction of the roster and substantial influence over the culture of the organization. And then after him, when it comes to the current head coach, you've got Jay Gruden, who has now coached 78 games for the Redskins, and who I believe has pretty clearly showed himself already to this point, and in fact this much probably two years ago, that he's not a terrible head coach or even a bad one, but he's certainly not a great head coach or even a good one. He's an extremely average one, and accordingly his team generates extremely average records. They tend not to go on long losing streaks, They also tend not to go on winning streaks. They tend to respond pretty well when they're really down and their backs are against the wall, but they tend to respond pretty poorly when they have momentum and they start to get a little credit. Gruden's teams don't generate a ton of drama, but they do generate enough to bother me at least once or twice every year. On average, he usually seems to have a fairly good offensive philosophy. On the other hand, he's below average at clock management and in-game strategy. So really, for every positive attribute, it it always seems like there's equivalent bad. And then on top of that, even as he has generally schemed an effective passing game, first of all, that didn't happen this year, even though he got a quarterback that the whole franchise certainly professed to have been in love with. Secondly, he's never really fixed the Redskins running game in all of his five years. And thirdly, very importantly, he's never really fixed the Redskins defense, even as they've added quite a lot of frontline talent, primarily through the draft. 
His selections of Joe Barry and Greg Minuski as defensive coordinator were both whiffs. As you know, I do a lot of reading and watching and listening for details on this team, and my impression is that he is just not sufficiently detail-oriented. I also think that his style fosters an accountability void because he tends to stick with favorites a little too long, and honestly, he seems to not even discourage practice habits or public remarks which pull the team's focus away from sustained excellence. Of course, we must factor in the ridiculous injuries this roster has sustained over the last two years when trying to judge this head coach's production. But I do feel even in their context, he has continued to be over these last two years what he was in his first three years, which is an average NFL head coach. And while average may have actually sounded kind of enticing at the time, it just doesn't to me anymore. I'm a little bit bored with average, and I think it's time to swing for extra bases, even if that means a temporary regression. So anyway, that's kind of at least part of my case for why I think the Redskins should should move on. And I think it follows clearly from that that if if that is my hope and what I believe is best for the organization, then this win, in as much as it may deter the owner from following that recommendation, is obviously at least potentially counterproductive. Now, if you're the sort that just totally cannot even begin to wrap your brain around the concept that I might be somehow in favor of short-term pain for long-term gain, then I don't even really know what to tell you. We're probably not going to reach an agreement on this topic. And there are a lot of you who feel that way. And you're certainly allowed to. I promise not to criticize your fan philosophy as long as you can agree to tolerate mine. But yeah, I do struggle a little bit with this concept, which is acknowledged far and wide every year by many teams and all fans, that Gruden's fate or Bruce Allen's fate may yet be determined by the outcome of these last two games or of the final four games or even exclusively on this whole season, it being as it is his fifth. Assuming that Jay Gruden is still here in January, he will have coached 80 games for the Redskins. Certainly the more recent ones matter more to me in my evaluation of him than the, than the initial ones did, but not 10 or 20 times more. By now, we've seen a really big body of work for him. The sample size here, the N, is not small. He's had a chance to evolve and develop as a head coach. I really don't know why we would expect him to suddenly or even eventually become any more sophisticated than he is now. It's been five years. How much seasoning should a head coach need? How much did Sean McVay need? Today's win is a credit to Jay Gruden. His heavily injured and reeling team put up a good, strong effort pretty much across the board, and he prepared a still new quarterback to run an intelligent game plan. And they got a win on the road to keep their season alive. He deserves credit for it. But the idea that he should keep his job because they won today, I just think it's kind of dumb. He's the same person. He's the same brain and the same style today, and he will tomorrow as he did yesterday. He's the same coach. The outcome of one game or three games, even in the most clutch portion of the season, really shouldn't, in my opinion, dictate the next few years of any organization's plan. And so in summary, yes, I'm happy for these Redskins for this win today. I'm very happy for for Josh Johnson, who seems extremely likable. I'm happy for these veterans who have been putting up with just a lot of shit, like Trent Williams and Ryan Kerrigan. I'm happy even for Adrian Peterson, who's become quite a leader, I think, on that team, at least in terms of dedication and work ethic and professionalism, whatever you think of him off the field or in his personal life, I mean. I'm definitely very happy for like the John Allens and the Duran Paynes, these young guys who need to be future building blocks of the defense. I'm happy that they saw today hard proof 
that Redskins' futility is not permanent. That shouldn't be overlooked. And again, I believe this game should be considered a feather in Jay Gruden's cap. And yes, at this point, I can just barely smell the faintest little whiff of playoffs, playoff hopes that will cause me to hope for a small miracle on Saturday night. But at the same time, yes, without question, a Redskins disappointment today probably would have gotten the team a little bit closer to what I personally considered to be the next very important and inevitable step in the Washington Redskins one day getting back to their very high past heights. 